Hello and welcome to What the Focaccio with me, Bettina Campolucci-Bordi. And me, Nikki Webster. Our podcast is all about sharing our passion for the things we eat, good food and the people behind it. We are delighted to announce that this season is sponsored by Stonely Wines. Their premium wines come all the way from Marlborough, New Zealand. It is made from 100% sustainably sourced grapes and are vegan certified. And we have a unique discount code for our listeners. You can get 20% off Stonely Sauvignon Blanc exclusively on Amazon using the code STONELY20. Today's guest is Nisha Vora, a vegan blogger, YouTuber, cookbook author, founder of Rainbow Plant Life and Vegan Trailblazer. Nisha's recipes are vibrant, veg-packed and a feast for the eyes and the belly. Nisha has amassed a huge number of followers from all over the world who are inspired by healthy and thoughtful vegan recipes. And she's a smart cookie. We think we can all learn a thing or two about to turn your passion into an incredible career. Hi, Nisha. So lovely to have you on our podcast. Um, How have you been? So nice to be here. I feel like we get to chat and catch up and I'm really excited to do that. And everything's good. Yeah, no complaints here. It's um, so amazing to see you again. I feel like we're a little bit a little bit like the OGs of Instagram. We've been around for a really long time. Um, And for those of you who are meeting you or listening to you for the first time, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, my name is Nisha and I started Rainbow Plant Life many years ago when I was still an unhappy lawyer. And I share basically flavor-packed vegan recipes, comfort food with a little bit of a spin, uh, lots of delicious content, hopefully, I think, delicious content uh, on Instagram, on YouTube, on my blog. And I just, I love teaching people how to cook, especially, obviously, teaching people how to cook plant-based and giving them the tools to feel confident and creative in the kitchen. Mm. And you and you certainly do that. So I think, weirdly, we kind of all started um, at the same time around 2016, which, which I don't know, must be like a pivotal moment in the world when everyone kind of started sharing plant-based content. Um, so you, you already said that you were an unhappy lawyer. So just can you <laughs> dig a little bit more into that in terms of how that sort of transition happened? Sure, yeah. So I had been practicing law for about four years and I had gone to law school really, really wanting to be a lawyer, wanting to use the law to like change the world. And uh, once I started practicing law, it was became very clear to me that uh, at least here in the US, I'm sure it's a bit different in, in the UK, the law is a very static conservative force. And so I got to practice law both in the big corporate setting where I was defending big multinational banks who had done lots of illegal things uh, and it was very easy for them to continue doing illegal things and then I also worked in the nonprofit setting representing low-income tenants who were really just the only crime they had committed was being too poor to afford the housing in New York City and um, I saw how difficult it was to keep people in their homes Um, and so seeing those like two very different sides of the law and how difficult it was to actually make change uh, disillusioned me and also just like the ordinary stress of being a lawyer I'm sure uh, people listening have heard from friends or family members who are lawyers. It's a very stressful job. And so I was like, I need to find something different that brings me joy because I was waking up anxious every day. I was dreading going into work. And I was like, this is just not the way to live your life. And so around 20, yeah, 2016, I went vegetarian and I just started sharing kind of food photos as like a creative mm-hmm. outlet when I was still a lawyer. And then a few months later, I went vegan and 
then just kind of started to see some traction on Instagram. And I was like, maybe this could, you know, I could turn this into some sort of job. I don't know. And Mm -hmm. so I started applying to food startups in New York City. And uh, the nice thing about applying to a young startup is that if you show that you're smart and hardworking, even if you don't really have any experience, they're like, sure, we'll take a we'll take a risk on you. And so I found a job at a New York City vegan food startup um, doing social media, food photography, recipe development, just a bunch of different things. And on the side, I was kind of building Rainbow Plant Life in the in the early stages, as as we talked about when we were all babies on Instagram. Yeah, that's so that's so amazing. Um... Just to go back to what you were saying, so you transitioned into plant-based, and how come how come you transitioned? What was the reason behind well, it? Yeah, so initially I stopped eating meat just because I found that when I ate it, I felt a little weighed down and kind of sluggish, and so I was like, maybe I'll just try not eating meat, and I felt a lot more energized afterwards. And then, again, when I started going on Instagram and seeing, like, there was this new vegan world exploding and I was like, I should like learn more about where my food's coming from. And I was like, I'm going to go vegan, but I really liked cheese and New York City pizza. And so I was like, I'm not going to go vegan. I'm just going to be vegetarian and that's fine. And then um, one week, my partner, Max, he both met, went on a long business trip. And I was like, well, when he's gone, I usually like watch whatever I want to watch. So I was like, maybe I'll watch a food documentary. So I watched Food Inc. And I was like, oh my God, this is what happens to the animals that like produce our food and then I watched I don't know maybe nine or ten more documentaries in the course of three nights uh and having all that information thrown at me very quickly I was like wow now I know what happens to animals that I have been eating so um I stopped eating dairy as well and yeah so I went vegan pretty quickly after that I don't know three night period uh but I had been vegetarian for a couple months so it wasn't such a huge change Mm. Yeah, but um, it is quite a huge change, though, isn't it? It, Especially, it is. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you if you're loving all the the cheese and everything else, but it's just incredible how that you know the the power of that that kind of information can just be completely transformative. Yeah, yeah, it's like a light bulb very quick, and then you're okay. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so. Um, Bettina and I have just come back from Turkey, which has been... I saw. It was been, amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was just incredible. Super tiring, packed schedule, but yeah, really, really inspiring and some some super amazing food. So um, I'd love to hear about um, your food influences. Of course, mine and Bettina's are very much driven by our love of travel and experiencing new cultures. Can you tell us a little bit about where your yeah. food inspiration comes so- from? One of the things I would say is my mom's cooking. So my parents are from India. My mom really only does Indian cooking. But just watching her, the way she approaches cooking as like, she's very, she doesn't follow a recipe. She's never used a recipe. She doesn't own measuring cups. And so that's very different than how I approach cooking as a food blogger who has to give detailed measurements. But just watching her do that gives me like, it starts provoking questions for me. Like, oh, why does she add the turmeric at this stage or why does she cook the onions for this long or uh how come she chops her tomatoes that size and how does that influence the final texture of the dish and so being able to watch her provoked a lot of questions for me but then also like learning about spices and Indian cooking in general has been a huge inspiration for me because I love cooking with spices so much now not just in Indian food but I apply it to other cuisines and other types of things to the extent that it makes sense and so that has been a huge influence for me and then travel of course like you guys mentioned um 
back in 2014, which is now almost 10 years ago, uh, Max and I did a long backpacking trip to many different countries and ate some of the best foods of our life and lives. And though I wasn't vegan then, I came back with so many ideas of, mm. you know, new flavor profiles that I was interested in and new techniques of cooking. We took cooking classes along the way. And so every time I visit a new country, I always try to take a cooking class because it just provides so much inspiration into how they use ingredients and how they pair flavors. We were in Bali last year and I came back with like this arsenal of knowledge of like, oh my God, there's so many great ingredients that I've used a little bit, but maybe not in the same ways. Mm. And now I want to start tinkering there. Uh, And then in terms of like more professional influences, I feel like in terms of approaching vegetables, uh, Otto Lange and um, Joshua McFadden, uh, author of Six Seasons, those, those two chefs have really opened my eyes to like treating vegetables like the superstars that they can be and that unfortunately they're not often treated as uh and then you know certain content creators who understand food really well you two are certainly among them who understand oh a vegetable is not just a vegetable there's so many different kind of creative ways you can treat it or lentils aren't just lentils there are so many fun ways you can make them indulgent and so of course i get inspiration from other creators um when i go on instagram or youtube or whatever it is yeah, that's amazing. I think um, I was thinking about food memories over this um, last weekend, actually, because a lot of the Turkish food reminds me of my grandmother's cooking. Um, oh. I've got partly Bulgarian heritage, and and Bulgaria was under the Ottoman Empire for many, many years, so a lot of the dishes are really similar. So the food that we were eating this weekend, some of the soups and some of the bites sort of transported me right back to childhood um and my summers spent in bulgaria which is amazing it's sort of food doesn't have any 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 borders in that way um which is incredible and and giving other people those experiences as well as really can be very powerful so i'm presuming that it was your mom who taught you how to cook yes and no you know growing up i didn't i wasn't really interested in indian food unfortunately because i grew up in the 90s in a small town in America, and, I, and I'm sure it's a little bit different than when, where you guys lived in the UK, because I feel like Indian food was has had its presence there for a while, but like mm-hmm. it wasn't, people were like, what is this gross, smelly food you're eating? So it wasn't like <laughs> really? something people were excited yeah. to celebrate, and you know, as a child who wanted to fit in, I was like, you know, like give me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or like give me a McDonald's burger. Um, but I started cooking as a teenager, uh, watching the Food Network. I don't know if the Food Network I is popular there, the but yeah. it's network. I yeah. used to be obsessed the, with yeah. it. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I learned I would come home every day after school and just watch it and take notes. And this was before, uh, maybe this was around the time that the DVR started. And so my dad would record things for me and I would take mm-hmm. notes on them. And then I would go to, you know, the cookbook stores and just read cookbooks all the time. And so a lot of the teaching initially was more from like a, uh, more formal academic sense because I was I was like very good at school and so I, I started to like learn cooking in a more formal way like oh I, I'm I can m- like learn information in school I can learn information through a cookbook kind of thing and then as I got older and started to find my roots again and like getting back into Indian food um, then of course my mom played a huge role in showing me around the kitchen in a very informal way always like she was never like I'm going to teach you how to make this recipe. <laughs> it was more like, yeah. hey, come on over. I'm making this. And then I would just watch her and ask her questions kind of thing. What's your mom's speciality? She got one. Um, she does. So she 
grew up in Mumbai, so she does a fair amount of Mumbai like street mm-hmm. food, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Pavaji. She yep. that's one of her favorites that we'll we'll make whenever we have company over. She does pani puri, which is another fun street food nice. snack. Like, and she'll she'll just call them her chat parties. Chat is like the Indian word for like any sort of very crispy snack, often fried, of, that has like different components that are tangy and savory and salty. And so she'll do like three variations, and um, then we eat until we can't breathe, and then she gets disappointed that we can't eat even more. Um, so she just like <laughs> continuously feeds us, uh, and then just a lot of uh, kind of dolls like that I grew up eating I still find very comforting she makes a really killer chana masala so she does I would say a wide variety of stuff she doesn't do as much southern Indian food because it's not her specialty but I have two aunts who are from different parts of southern India so whenever they visit um, they like let me come watch them and um, my, they'll show my mom a couple of things too and it's really fun to see like the different um, different cuisines of India kind of coming together I mean, um, I mean, you probably already know, but I'm a, I've spent lots of time in India and I'm a huge yes. Indian food fan. Yes, I know. So, yeah. so, so um, yeah, and it kind of, that sort of leads into the next question, really. So for me, you know, my favourite things to cook are, are invariably some kind of, you know, curry or dal with a, with a chutney and a flatbread or something. But what, what about you? If, you? if you had to, like, pick one meal, what would it be? I'm going to go, like, a little broader and not just pick, like, one recipe, but I would say maybe like a Southeast Asian curry noodle soup of some sort, like some sort of hybrid there. I love a noodle soup and I love like the flavors of, a, of like a Thai or uh, like a Thai curry, but also like a Vietnamese noodle soup or like a Malaysian curry noodles, you know, like anything in that wheelhouse. I love, but also it's hard for me to not say any sort of Indian curry because like I love, love those too. So I know Amazing. that wasn't really great Sounds answer good. i that basically sounds- picked all of asia <laughs> in a bowl you can have so. it it's fine <laughs> that sounds really good to me um sounds all delicious when can i come over for dinner <laughs> just hop on over the pot yeah. yes that would be amazing um so speaking of plant-based earlier i feel like when we started out uh plant-based genre was looked upon as a little bit of a fad and i think people were wondering whether it was here to stay and clearly (laughs) it is because there are so many people that have carved careers out of it there's so many brands and products that are out there and it's definitely not a fad anymore i was just wondering how do you feel about the fact that it's become such a huge industry uh, mostly good, right? You know, the more that people eat plants, the the better it is for the environment, the better it is for the animals, generally the better it is for your health. Uh, I think since we were, you know, our little baby days on Instagram in 2016, it's been amazing to see the definition of what veganism should look like or what plant-based should look like evolve. I feel like when I first started, mostly what I saw was smoothies and salads and um, bowl foods, which are fine, not my favorite. Mm. And for the first like six months or a year of being vegan, I was like, I guess this is just what I eat now. And then <laughs> as, as I was like, oh no, I'm so bored with this, yeah. uh, started to explore different cuisines like we've talked about and different styles of cooking. And I think seeing that now, if you go on Instagram today or TikTok or whatever it is, you just see such a different 
variety of perspectives and cultures represented in the plant-based space in a way that I didn't see in 2016. And so for me, that's a really wonderful change and evolution. Uh, as we've talked about, there's so many cuisines that are naturally plant-friendly, mm -hmm. and it's lovely to see creators from those places be represented and be able to share and showcase their food. Um, and then, you know, another big change I think I feel like we've seen in the last couple of years is just like that evolution of lab created meat and dairy and uh you know it's still in its infancy but i'm sure in our lifetimes that will become very normal and that's that's pretty cool and exciting and is that and is that something that you um because i always feel that you're pretty much kind of more focused like us about you know vegetables and pulses and uh, and things like that would you do you or would you incorporate those kind of ingredients into your recipes Maybe from time to time, just because I know that there is some excitement around it. And I know that sometimes folks don't have the time to like make a full meal from scratch. But as you mentioned, my personal style and approach is generally whole foods. Um, not because I'm like, oh, they have it has to be the healthiest thing ever, but because I genuinely enjoy experimenting and finding creative ways to make tofu and lentils taste very meaty without actually using a meat substitute. Um, but I think it's ex exciting that, it, that they exist because it just makes it more accessible and um, approachable for so many other people who maybe have never had an amazing tofu dish and are like, I'm never going to eat tofu. It's not the same as me, like end of story kind of thing. Um, and so I think I'll probably dabble with it a little bit. I actually invested in a company here in the U.S. who does uh, dairy-based milk, but it's not dairy. It's made with, mm -hmm. you know, real milk protein from fermentation instead of from cows. And so mm. I think it's exciting that those companies exist and I want to see them grow and I want to see them do well. Even if I myself, I'm like, I really like oat milk. I really like soy milk. I don't really yeah. need to go back to dairy milk, but yeah. I, I like, and I'm excited that these, these products and these brands exist. So in terms of, because, you know, there's, there's things that sort of emerging, evolving, um, in the UK, which, which are kind of similar to U S but, um, as you are a kind of like uh, American representative, we'd love to hear what. Uh, I don't know if I want to be a representative of America. But... No, I, I hear you, but I feel. But in I terms feel of what's like, coming... yeah, I feel like there's. I feel like things generally are a little bit more progressed within the plant-based world in America uh, than they are in the UK in in certain aspects. Um, in certain aspects, but I feel like yeah. in certain other aspects, you guys are also ahead of us. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> a little bit of both. Um, what do you think? What do you think is trending, or what do you think is it's coming? Be sort of yeah, is coming. Well, as I mentioned, I think that like to the extent that these technologies are given enough funding and allowed to kind of experiment and flourish, I do think we'll see a big rise in lab-grown meat and dairy. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been a couple companies here that have gotten a lot of funding recently mm. and have get, been given like approval from the FDA to kind of go forward with it. There's a lot of regulation around this stuff. And so getting the, mm. the approval is a pretty big step. Um, I don't I, I don't think I'm the best person to, to know trends, though. Like I I'm I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know actual trends that come and go. Uh, but I'm excited to see just in general that like more people are open to plant-based eating in a way that like even five years ago when I told people I was vegan, they'd be like, huh. And now it's like, oh, cool. Like my best friend is vegan or, oh, cool. Like, you know, I'm mostly vegetarian. And it's, so I think just the excitement for me is just seeing it become more 
integrated into people's lives in a way that it, that it hasn't been in the past. And so I think that we'll continue to see that. And I don't have any other predictions. So. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I think, no, I think mushrooms are a thing, aren't they? Yeah. I think mushrooms sure. are won wonderful little things in, in oh, all amazing. their shapes and sizes. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping tempeh has a bit more sort of glory days in terms of becoming a thing because it's it's such a nice way of eating. It's such a, such a good food for you, and I actually mm. used to not like it because I was not cooking it right, and I was like, it's bitter bird food. Uh, and then <laughs> I learned, you know, different ways to make it crispy yeah. and kind of to kind of hide the bitterness. I actually did a video on that last year, like how to make tempeh actually taste good because it's so good for you. It's got protein, it's got fiber, it's fermented, mm. and if you can cook it properly, it is a really lovely. Uh, kind of meaty, savory food, but there are a few steps you have to take too. Um, I think that I think uh, sort of crisping things is a key to making lots of things yes. taste good, isn't it? Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Can you fry something in a little bit of <laughs> olive oil and make it crispy? Great. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're good. I wanted to ask everyone, actually, uh, just the, the, the thing about some TikTok trends, because I don't think, I don't, well, I don't think any of us necessarily sort of, uh, you know, mm -mm. kind of buy into those so much but is it tempting if someone's if something's really trending no no <laughs> no no uh, <laughs> it's not um, for me either. i just can't do another platform i just same i don't know i can't I get my head around tiktok i am on it but it's just literally reposting my instagram stuff i don't really yeah. scroll through it i don't know i'm not even on it i did i don't yeah. if i'm can make time for it maybe um but i don't find the trying trying <laughs> i don't find the trends appealing to me because i want to teach people how to cook like really excellent food at home and food that will be good today and good in two years like i don't want to make something that's going to be fun and trendy for one month and then you'll forget about right mm, that's a really good point i like that agreed agreed and i think that both of your styles are very similar in terms of that like just good food that you and your family will enjoy yeah. all the time. Yeah. And also you're already, you know, you're already managing quite a few platforms, aren't you? So yeah. there's only so much. There's only so much. Yeah. And I think like as a user, I feel like social media already, you know, like there's, it's already taking up quite a bit of your time as a user. And so just as someone who wants to protect you know, my time and my energy. It's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to scroll on TikTok. Yeah. So. Agreed. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, but are we sounding old? Yes, uh, of course we are. <laughs> probably. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. I guess it's just one of those things, but I, I'm in, I'm in agreement. It's just another platform. But you, you've got social media platforms on YouTube and Instagram. Correct. Yeah. And did you start both of those simultaneously? No. So I started Instagram, as I mentioned, really just as a creative outlet, like upload photo of smoothie, <laughs> upload photo of sat, you know, like when it was very easy. <laughs> and uh, then I think maybe a year and a half later, I started to feel like, oh, I'm learning so much about veganism and 
plant-based cooking and I want to share that in a way that Instagram didn't give you the opportunity to. Even with short-form video, I feel like you're still a little bit limited in how much you can teach people. Uh, and so I started a YouTube channel, but I was still working full-time, so I didn't really like invest a lot of time or energy into it. And then when I started working full-time for myself, I was sort of started I was <laughs> starting to be able to invest that time and energy that is necessary to run like a YouTube channel in a way that I, did, I didn't have before. How much time and energy does it take? Because it's not something that, <laughs> that I've, um, I've, I've managed to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. I think uh, it gives me personally the most satisfaction and the most meaning and reward. But you are doing long form videos. So for instance, my vi shortest videos are like seven or eight minutes and my longest videos might be 20, 25 minutes. So it's a lot. And a lot of the work goes into the pre-production stage so like what would a compelling intro be to this video what what are topics that people are actually interested in as opposed to just like oh I made some pasta and here it is you know like maybe that'll do well yeah. but I feel like a lot of with YouTube is um in the pre-production um planning phase and so you could do it as your full-time job you know it, it it takes a lot of time and energy but for me it's it's absolutely worth it in terms of the connection you can create with your audience like they're basically watching you in their kitchen or they're kind of in your kitchen with you watching you on a regular basis getting to know you as a person not just as someone who cooks and learning hopefully from you interesting things and techniques that will make them uh, more confident in the kitchen at least that's how I try to approach my channel and so I love it but it, yeah it's a lot of work yeah, I mean, yes. endlessly impressed. It's, um, <laughs> it's good. It, it is indeed. Amazing skills. So Bettine Knight chats, you know, quite often about the kind of, come time there's a little bit of disparity between, we've already kind of covered all, you know, touched on this already, between the perception of, um, you know, being vegan and, you know, and, you know, sometimes people believe that that's, you know, automatically healthy. And we kind of know that's not the case. Um, if you were, and again, I think I kind of know the answer that, you know, kind of, you know, cook and make it, um, develop recipes with, with natural ingredients, which are inherently healthy. But what do, what's your view on the whole, whole topic? Yeah. So, um, I want to showcase plant-based ingredients and make them special and exciting, but I don't do it. I don't do it for health-based reasons. I'm not vegan for health-based reasons. I'm vegan for ethical reasons. And so for me, there is a distinction, um, I don't want to eat junk food all the time and I don't want to share like highly processed recipes with my audience all the time. But at the same time, I don't want people to think like, oh, if I eat Nisha's recipes, I'm going to lose weight. That is not my mm. motto. That mm. is not my brand. I specifically shy away intentionally from anything diet related because diet culture is just saturated in every level of society and I don't need to be one more voice of that. Um, I personally struggled with an eating disorder when I was a teenager and disordered eating for many years after that and I feel like going vegan was the first time I felt like a piece around food and it actually helped heal my relationship with food and so for me the recipes are delicious and they may very well be wholesome and it's great to like get people to eat more plants and more lentils and more beans and more vegetables but uh, I never want people to feel like uh, that this is a diet and I don't promote it as a diet. And I think there's a million different ways to be healthy. And what you eat is certainly one way to do that. But I, I'm not restrictive about anything. And I don't want people to 
to get that from my content. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I always find it kind of interesting when people, I don't know whether you find this as well, when people ask for the, cal- the calories in my recipes, yeah. which, which, is something mm. I've, which is something I've never done and I wouldn't want to do. Do you, is that something you get requested as well? I didn't for a long time. And yeah. then um, basically I talked to a, an SEO expert who was like, you should do it for Google, even if you really don't want uh, to. Okay. So yeah. it's like in a very discreet oh, place and yeah. it, you have to like click on it to, to view it. It's not just there in front of you. So if you're someone who wants to see it, you can. Um, I don't love it. <laughs> I don't want it there. Uh, but sometimes in order for people to find your content, you have to kind of make some compromises. Yeah, mm, makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, the UK has gone through this whole process now, actually, re- very recently, oh. where calories have to be on menus mm. and catering companies and big corporates and stuff like that. So I'm finding that quite interesting because obviously calories, how, how calorific something is doesn't mean uh, whether it's nutritious or not, because right. you know something can have very high calories, like avocados and nuts and seeds, sure. for example. But they're they're good fats and they're good calories, yeah. and we should be eating them. So, yeah, I think unfortunately, it's just one of those things that um, we have to kind of live with. Um, speaking of food, which we have been talking about loads. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Nikki and I are very much aligned in this, and I think you are as well in terms of eating as seasonally as possible and supporting local farmers. Um, Is sustainability in food waste really important to you in terms of how you develop your recipes and, 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 and your brand? Yeah, I mean, I think that like obviously being plant based in general, it has like a huge effect on sustainability and on climate change and all the all the all these big things that we talk about um and I love cooking seasonally as much as possible sometimes it's a little difficult with an international audience because I'll be like asparagus is in season make this asparagus pasta and there are folks who are like no it's not um or I live in California now where we are very blessed to have so many things in season much yeah, of the year yeah, you know we have that. strawberries like 10 months of the year mm-hmm. which is kind of wild wow. and so sometimes I feel like I'm a little too privileged in that sense to yeah. be like you know but um I try to shop at the farmer's market as much as I can and I try to give people ideas on you know how to reduce their food waste we did a recent video on um the title is something about like saving money on groceries but a big part of the video is on like getting the most out of your food and kind of upcycling your food. And so I try to share little tidbits with my audience. But I think for me, um, one of the things that bothers me about the conversation or not the conversation as a whole, but like when people shame people like, oh, I can't believe you put that in a plastic Ziploc instead of a reusable bag, or I can't believe you used a plastic cup in this. And and we should all strive to be better in our individual choices, of course. But like we're really missing the 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 big problem, which is like there's a handful of companies who are responsible for the bulk of global warming and the bulk of mm. pollution. And I feel like as creators and as, as voters, really, we should be putting the onus on them and encouraging our governments to put the onus on them. And so as much as I try to um, inspire people to eat seasonally or to do certain things to reduce their food waste, um, I, I do wish the conversation was less focused on like, bad you individual, bad you creator, and more on like, let what can we do to 
make our governments hold these companies and corporations accountable. Mm, yeah, really good points. Yeah, it's a really good point. But how how do we do that? Is it's, it's, I don't. It's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because the, the only thing you kind of have control over is what you can is what you can do. do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, voting. I, I don't know how it works yeah. in the UK, but yeah. here um, I think people. It's often lost on people on how important it is that you vote and who you vote for. Um, and whether you vote for politicians who are going to keep the status quo or politicians who are wishing or who are willing to push the envelope in um, in making climate change, fighting climate change a priority and holding certain companies accountable. Yeah. yeah. Easier than said. Easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely easier said than done. And I think in, in general, um, we should all just try and do better rather than pointing fingers at people that are not doing it our way yeah. um, or the way that we think things should be done and at least do something um, because it can be very, very overwhelming um, for some people to even, even broach the subject. But I think the most important thing is to at least do what you can and that is good enough and a good start to... Yeah, because it's a so starting specific. point to the individual and their circumstances too, right? Like if you think that plastic is bad, but like you are someone with limited economic means and you can't afford like a fancy silicone stasher bag collection, like yeah, your best might just be reusing the plastic bags you get at the grocery store or wherever it is. And so um, I think the conversation also makes can make folks who don't have as much money feel bad that they're not doing everything because – it's impossible for them to do everything. And so um, adding nuance to these conversations, I think, is really important. Yeah, definitely. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So your content is so beautiful, Nisha. It looks gorgeous. I think it tastes lovely as well. So for all those kind of like people that are starting out, um, because you are you know, I, you are certainly someone I, you know, I look up to in terms of not only having lovely food and gorgeous content, but also, you know, you're really, really smart in terms of the business aspect of it. Um, especially, you know, in terms of, you know, um, you clearly have spent, you know, huge amounts of time, you know, looking as you you talk about, you know, this is going to be good for SEO. This is, you know, this is going to be an engaging (laughs) intro, for example. So I'd just love to hear a little bit more about that. And so if people are starting out, what would you, any tips, what would you recommend? Yeah, well, I appreciate you thinking I'm business savvy because I'm just remembering when we met in 2019 and I had just gone full-time and I knew nothing. Like, you were like, oh, I monetize my blog. And I was like, you do what? Like, I had, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that then. So, like, I've learned a lot in the last few years, but I don't want to make it sound like it came natural to me or that, like, I'm some business savvy person because um, it's more just, like, spending time learning things. And so... I think for people who are just starting out, I think the more important thing is like, why are you doing this? How Know your why. I think so many people want to become Instagram famous or TikTok famous, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if you want this to be a sustainable long-term career that you get value out of and that feels good to you inside and isn't just like a, a thing for show, you have to know your why. And it has to be an important why. Like, it obviously, everyone's why will be different. But I think you should really spend some time in the early days figuring what that is and figuring out what is the value you want to, to deliver. What is the value proposition you can deliver that's like a, you know, 
marketing term, but like, how can you enrich someone's life? How can you serve your audience in a way that's unique to you? Because social media is, is a very crowded space at the, you know, so what can you do to be, to share your content in a way that's unique to you? And I think one of the things that early creators, including myself, mess up on is just trying to emulate other people and just trying to do what everyone else is doing. When I started a YouTube channel, I was like, oh, everybody in the vegan space is making videos on 10-minute breakfast or easy vegan lunches to go to take to school or whatever. And I was like, I guess I will do that. And like, that's not how I eat. That's not, <laughs> I don't, I don't eat chia pudding. Like I don't <laughs> take a little bento box to lunch. And once I started to like actually focus on content that I wanted to do and that I thought was valuable and tuning out everyone else, that's when I started to see results on my channel. And so try to focus on what's unique about you and, and be who you are. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to use other people's ideas um, obviously we all get inspiration from everywhere else, but like make it your own and, um, know why, why, why it's important to you. And it, and also that kind of makes it easy, doesn't it? Because it's, it's hard work anyway. And to try and emulate someone else or be something that you're not makes it even harder. It's so much easier to be yourself. You just feel better if you're doing stuff that you're passionate about and that you feel good about rather than creating content that you think is going to do well, because yeah, it's just... I guess follow your passion and the rest will come, which sounds so, so cheesy. <laughs> and you'll probably not make loads of money to begin with, which, you know, I, I definitely didn't. And I don't think any of us did in the beginning. Um, but you just kind of grind on because it's what you love doing. And then eventually things fall into place, which is, which is great. Yeah. And I would say also keep like a, a growth mindset if you like there's a fixed mindset and there's a growth mindset it's a psychology term but with a fixed mindset it's like I am good at this and this is that's it I'm bad at this and, that, and that's kind of it and um, it's a very simplification of that term but and a fixed mindset is like I'm not good at this right now but that doesn't mean I can't be and there's just so much to learn in this type of career that doesn't really have any boundaries or um, fixed kind of definitions that you just have to be excited and willing and interested to learn and to pivot and to um, grow like I was mentioning like I didn't know what SEO was when I saw you guys in 2019 I didn't even know how to monetize my blog and uh, I'm not saying this to my credit it's more just like if you take the time to figure something out and to learn something, you can absolutely get good at it. You just have to keep that mindset that like, this is just a new thing to learn. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be this mm. enormous obstacle that like makes you so afraid, which I definitely thought of SEO in the beginning. And now I'm like, oh, it's just this thing that you kind of have to do. And it's not my favorite, but it's just part of the job and you can learn it. Yeah. Uh yeah. And there's so many parts yeah. of the job, isn't it? That is also kind of, yes. kind, kind of endless, but you know, but it's all good. I'm sure, I mean, I, I mean, I certainly feel like I've learned so much, you know, in that kind of, I don't know, six year, six, seven year period. It's, it's unbelievable. And it's, you know, yeah. and you start off because you have a passion for food, but um, you kind of end up having to be an expert in so many things, but it's, yes. it, but it is great. We are going to move on to well, it's still food related. <laughs> Do you like wine, Nisha? <laughs> oh, I generally love wine, but in the last year, my body has said, not so fast, Nisha. 
you are getting older and we've decided to make wine hurt your stomach. Oh no! I don't know why. Uh, So I can only have a little bit of it now um, and only if I've eaten. Otherwise I get this uncomfortable acidy feeling in my stomach. But it it is wonderful. It is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And I suppose a lot of people don't know about um, how wine is produced and that not all wines are produced equal as in as some of it's not vegan yep that's that when i learned that it was a very disappointing day in my life i was like what <laughs> why there's definitely there's definitely a lot more i think um uh, vegan wines now that are naturally vegan that are just using different processes yeah yeah i live near a, a natural wine bar and so most natural wines are just not refined and so that's nice because I can assume generally that they're that they're vegan because they don't have to be refined. Some of them are a little funky, but it's I don't know. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And we we tried an interesting wine just for Christmas, didn't we, Bettina? It was, it was kind of like a orangey color. What's do you remember? Hmm. Orange wine. Yeah, that's been that's been on the scenes for a while. Um, I find it quite funny. I've been into natural wines for <laughs> quite a while, and I remember bringing a bottle to some friends. And they were like, uh, this wine's off. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's supposed to taste like that. Yeah. <laughs> it gives you less of a headache, I promise. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more natural wine bars and stuff um, that have opened up everywhere, really, even in Bali. So I mm. spent a month in Bali this February. I remember I saw And that. it was amazing. I'm presuming that you're a fellow Bali lover. Do you well, I've only been there? once. I went last September and I was like I will I will move here now I like it's just such a special place where you go and you're like it's just well of course it's gorgeous the food is really delicious the people are so warm and you're like why don't I live here it's just so lovely it is I really want yeah it really is I really want to go back so next question for you Nisha uh what do you what would you say um you are most proud of uh, that could be a career, could be a personal experience, or something you've achieved. Yeah, I think what I'm most proud of is probably just like my pivot. Basically, I think I grew up very square in the sense of like I knew from a young age I wanted to like go to not a young age, but I like wanted to go to university and I wanted to go to law school and I had my life kind of very neatly mapped out. And I think. First, taking the risk to like go backpack for you know six months was like the biggest risk I had ever taken, and I think that that kind of gave me the courage to eventually leave law and to start my own business. And so I think I'm just proud of the fact that like I allowed myself to become a totally not a totally different person, like a, but a different version of myself who was more willing to take risks and willing to say no to this pre-prescribed life that looked great and on paper and looked very prestigious on paper and gave myself the freedom to like carve out a life that I really wanted to live um even though it you know took some struggle and some you know identity crisis along the way um but I think that ultimately it gave me the opportunity to build a life that I'm that I live now that I love and that I'm really proud of. And so um, being able to just say that I I took took some big risks, I think I'm really proud of because I don't think of myself as a risk taker. Yeah, same. I mean, it's uh, just just even just leaving a sort of a, a 
a job where you get a, a salary every month and go into the world yeah. of working for yourself it's a uh, it's very scary it's an enormous risk isn't it you have to have like it's a I don't know I don't personally know if I knew or had faith that I could do it it was just a big sort of I'm just going to try yeah yeah definitely it is a big risk but I I suppose also that it's um once once you do and you take the leap of faith it's it would be very difficult to work for someone else I find I think I'm unemployed I'm unemployable (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd be a nightmare if I had to do a night nine to five. Um, and I guess the difference is that you're working, you're, you're working a lot more, but you are working for yourself and you're, you're sort of in charge of your own time, which is amazing. And, and I guess the best bit about it is that you're doing something that you love. Yes. All, all true. I would, if yeah. I had to go back to an office, I would, I don't know. Every time I hear someone complain about being in an office or their boss, I'm just like, don't miss that. Don't miss no, it at all. No. And I, yes, no, I work more too, but you know, it's absolutely worth it. It's interesting. Everyone that I've ever spoken to that's self-employed always says that they could, they're completely unemployable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I could just imagine myself being a complete nightmare. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Um, this is my favorite question. Uh, I always learn so much. Um, and it's, it's the final question of the podcast as well. And that is, um, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given? And I suppose it doesn't have to be from a person, but what's, what's that thing that sort of stuck with you? Um, that's been really useful. Um, my dad says this a lot, and it's never as like a, Nisha, I have some advice to give you. It's just something he says, and it's just be happy. And it's so simple, but like he will be 70 next year. He grew up in India with very little, and he never complains. Like he never complains. And I'm not saying that like never complaining is like the ideal standard. Like sometimes life is hard and, you know, it helps to talk about it. Um, but he just, every day he's like, I'm happy and I'm going to choose to enjoy life. And, you know, he finds little ways to experience joy like a child would. He does karaoke at the top of his lungs or he opens a ripe mango and he's like the happiest person ever. And so um, hearing him say that from time to time, just be happy is a really good reminder of that. Like sometimes life is stressful and sometimes you get in your own head and sometimes running a business is stressful. Um, But if you just remember that, if I just remember that, I'm like, my life is amazing, you know, I have everything I could ever want and life is good. And so find a little, find little ways to find joy in life. Oh, I love that. Mm. I love that. And you can choose, you absolutely choose to be happy, can't you? You know? Absolutely. Then yeah. just see the, see the joy in the little things um, and the big things. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that is such a lovely note to end on. Thank you yeah. so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. So nice to see you again. So nice to see you both. Thanks for having me and chat to you. Are you going to be coming out to the UK anytime soon? Uh, I don't have any current plans. Although the last time I was there, I was like, the food in London is so fantastic. I really need to go back. It's so good. Yeah. So good. That's why I think like in some ways you guys are ahead of us because the food there was just at a different level with all the different cuisines. And it was, yeah, it's really great. Mm. Yeah, it's really well, good. Well, I hope you do. Um, I hope, I hope you do so. too. Where can we find you? Where can our listeners find you? Sure. Uh, you can get all of my 
recipes at rainbowplantlife.com. That's my blog. You can find me on YouTube at it's youtube.com slash rainbowplantlife. And then on Instagram, I'm at rainbowplantlife. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, Nisha, thank you so much. You've been, it's been of course. Wonderful. Thanks so much for chatting with it. me. Thanks for chatting Thank you so much for listening to What's the Catcher. I hope you enjoyed our food conversations and please do have a listen to the rest of the episodes to hear more brilliant stories about everything and anything to do with food. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Stonely Wines, premium wine from Marlborough, New Zealand. It is made from 100% sustainably sourced grapes and is vegan certified. And use our exclusive discount code for 20% off Stonely Sauvignon Blanc exclusively on Amazon using the code STONELY20. And please do give us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed the podcast. It really does help to spread the word. And if you want to follow Bettina and myself, you can find us on Instagram at Bettina's Kitchen and Rebel Recipes. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back soon. Bye.